Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always through the fancy Skype app, my older brother, Michael Kuhn. Hey, hey. And my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. We're going old school, still using Skype. That's right. 2020. Zoom, we say no to you. Um, So the draft is over. The Browns have seven new drafted players. Very, very exciting. Um, And the virtual draft happened. Um, It is complete. There were some bumps in the road, but ultimately everyone got drafted. Seems like teams didn't lose power where there wasn't a Russian hacker, like you mentioned in the last podcast, Matthew. Really upset by that. Huge bummer. But it, it went off seemingly all right. It was it was pretty good. The in-studio coverage was all right. I would love to know if there were things that didn't make the broadcast that, that were actually challenges, and I'm sure those stories will come out eventually. Um, but there, there were some clunky moments. Uh, uh, Trey Wingo had to interrupt a couple people because of delay, and there's a, there's a pick in, and Roger's not going to wait for anybody. So <laughs> that is It true. cracked me up. It cracked me up how the like studio analysts that would typically be at like the desk or whatever, they each had a different timing. Like every time they kicked to Lewis Riddick, there was a good solid two second delay yes. before Lewis like said anything. And you started to get used to it. It was like, all right, well, uh, I could go get a beer and then I'll get Lewis's take. And like yeah. it Lu- always Lu- was delayed. Lewis Riddick with the pregnant pause. <laughs> Very thoughtful about what he was about to say. And then um, how about Roger Goodell, day two, um, just slumping lower and lower and lower into his chair as the entire evening went on. Just living his best life and announce like, so uncomfortably announcing that he was now sitting in his chair, like, at one point. Which Did was he say obvious. that? Yeah. Did, no, no, that? he announced. He was like... I am now? He was like, and now... I'm going to be announcing the picks from the comfort of my armchair. <laughs> it was so uncomfortable. I was like, what the hell are you doing? He was out of sorts. I, The best explanation I've heard so far is um, Danny Kelly from The Ringer was prognosticating and just guessing that he thinks he threw his back out somehow. And he thinks he threw his back out in the middle of day two and decided, screw this, I'm sitting down in the chair. But it was so bad he needed to take a muscle relaxer, and that's how he got like so loose and like ridiculous as the <laughs> rest of the night went on. Which honestly explains it, because he was talking about how like he gets his own back spasms or whatever the case might be, and you got to sit in like a very particular way to like kink your back so that like it doesn't hurt anymore, and that would explain why he was sitting so awkwardly. In yeah, the so chair. your muscle's not stretched out, so it's like flex or whatever. So there was that, and then just given the nature of this draft, I mean, he's he's left to his own devices down there in his basement. I mean, I don't know. I can't imagine it was just Roger and a camera, like, and he's operating the camera by himself, but there can't be more than two other people down there with him, maybe three. He doesn't have his typical, like, team around him to be like, eh, you're not, eh, maybe don't, that doesn't look great. But then he also doesn't have anybody else to tap in, like, like, there's nobody else who could take this spot. You're not going to have a random, like, producer start announcing picks from Roger Goodell's basement. If I know executive types, what he normally is used to is having someone literally whispering into his ear the second until the second he walks onto the stage exactly what he needs to do, and he can just repeat that. He didn't have that this time. 
and so and i think that showed like i it was uh it was a little rough anytime he had to read off a teleprompter it the teleprompter was the worst he was so uncomfortable and reading (laughs) off a teleprompter you have to think is one of the easiest things that you can do like just read it naturally read it conversationally and he was so like he's obviously not a showman which i guess is good (laughs) but what i'm amazed that he could get to the level that he's at without having a lick of charisma in him whatsoever in front of a camera or anything at all like just pretend like you're talking to somebody and there's also funny go ahead go ahead sorry no there's also funny screenshots of little trinkets in the background on his shelves that changed positions between picks where it was like clearly obvious that he was just bored and like fidgeting with all the crap that's like yeah. on his shelf. He's like super the bobblehead would change positions like he's, between picks. He's super concerned with his image, so he wanted to make sure everything was turned just right, but he didn't think about what he was gonna say or how he was gonna sit during the next pick. Do you think it's less about like my last theory of like someone whispering in his ear right beforehand and he didn't have that like crutch? And more about, like, he just wasn't aware that there was millions of people watching because it was just the camera in front of him. And there weren't actually, like, uh, there wasn't a physical audience that, or, like, he or like, that was rising to the occasion. That was, for. like, kicking him into gear. Or that, like, yeah. he was just, like, also just, like, actually ridiculously relaxed because he was in his own basement. And he was only talking to, like, yeah, exactly like you're saying, one or two people. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> he was like, yeah, oh, whatever. Well. And I mean, Roger being Roger. Honestly, if you're sitting in your own basement for six hours, how are you going to stay on for that amount of time? Like, it would be tough. It's a legitimate thing, actually. Now that you mention it, like, I if I was alone in my basement with one or two other people, I don't know that I could stay locked in. No, I was thinking about this. Okay, but how much harder would it be to be Trey Wingo? Oh, he did a phenomenal job. I think. I know. It was unbelievable. I can't imagine how hard that would be. I had to run a meeting like for work last week that had like 15 people in it. And I was like definitely the point guard where I was like running it and having to make sure that the right people spoke. And I knew like what people wanted to achieve. And it felt like Trey Wingo. I, 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 <laughs> I was like completely beat after an hour and a half or two hours of that meeting. I can't imagine doing what he did for however many days. Well, Trey Wingo has people in his ear telling him where to go. Does that make it harder or easier? Easier because you don't have to think about, like, the flow of things as far as, like, who talks next because somebody else is making that choice. Yeah. But harder because you're inputting information and then having to output and manage all that at the same time. Yeah, but he's also just, like... He's just like a robot that just takes it in, spits it out, and he has his sayings that he's like, all right, now we're going to go to Lewis with the, like, that is just, and we're like, and now to Mel with. How did you guys feel? Because there's, ESPN's been getting a lot of flack for this, and it honestly felt uncomfortable to me at the time. Like, the vignettes of Trey Wingo and or just in the graphics talking about kind of like the life struggles, personal life issues of individual draft picks which i feel like in a typical draft it's it's incorporated like more organically it felt really uncomfortable they do it every single year consistently they've always done that they've never not highlighted like sob stories of a draft pick and then shown what they've overcome to get to where they are it's why people love the biggest loser like it's what makes the draft dynamic and interesting like it's it's fun for people to watch that. But yes, when it's just on a graphic where they say that like 
his mother overcame drug abuse in like a line item with like how tall he is and how much he weighs it it does feel kind of cold and uncomfortable yes it absolutely is as opposed to like a story by um what's his face that does the um tom rinaldi tom rinaldi yes they need tom rinaldi to only say the sad things that happen to people <laughs> they brought, what if they brought tom rinaldi up every, every time, time for that? every time something sad talking about someone's past it has to be tom rinaldi he just pops up in a little picture in picture window <laughs> that would that would be very funny oh they should have done it that's hilarious espn you can have that idea for the next virtual draft you're welcome i will say the like chance to see all of the different like coaches and gms like in their house was freaking awesome like i loved seeing that like the mix of like families bill belichick's dog like ridiculous houses like unridiculous houses like really like boring like zach taylor type houses i mean like there were it was it was a wide array and it allowed for lots of internet fodder and I appreciated it. Yeah. I mean, you go from Jerry Jones yacht to Gettleman, Zach, Zach Taylor's house where yeah. it looks like he just moved out furniture from a spare bedroom. And- Gettleman's house was just a basic bonus room with one of those plastic folding tables with a TV on it right next to him. Yeah. It was a bonus room. Gettleman also had a, a picture of the Charlotte skyline in the background for, for like the first part of the broadcast. And then somebody told him to take it down. <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. Um, well, it was anyone go yeah. ahead, Mark. No, you go ahead. Um, sorry, but I love seeing like kids, like their families like come in and like celebrate with them like after a pick like seeing all the kids like run in like that was awesome oh, i yeah. love that that was and, super like, fun those, those it, elements were like a nice addition i don't know that you'll ever be able to replicate in a future draft so that made it like unique and fun but something i think we could see replicated a little bit more is not so much hokey crap like you typically see on like day two and three where all these like different people come and announce the picks and all this sort of stuff. And you get less like analysis. I felt like we had more like strict football analysis of all of the picks, which was such a refreshing breath of fresh air. Wait, what did you think about all the like performances on day three? Like there the weren't music- that many. There was a couple, there was a few, but like I didn't, you know, honestly compared to a normal day three, it was far less like interruptions than i'm used to seeing yeah i mean i would much rather get grainy footage of a prospect and his family as he gets drafted from his little camera setup yeah in his living room than watch somebody announce a pick from the top of mount kilimanjaro it's like right yeah i I don't i don't care all right well the the draft was super fun the virtual draft was definitely interesting Let's talk about our actual draft picks. So we have each one line by line. I'd actually love to hear from you guys and tell me what your guys' favorite pick was from the entire draft. We'll talk about all of them, uh, but I just want to hear maybe value that we got for the pick. Which pick were you most excited about? Michael. Hmm. That's a good question. I think I was probably most excited about the Jordan Elliott pick because if you go back to last year, I remember our like after draft podcast. I was so angry that we did not draft a defensive tackle. 
Like, I knew we needed depth on our defensive line, and we just didn't even address the position. And it hurt us throughout the season that we didn't have depth. And going into this year, we have guys, and we talked about this uh, heading in, but we don't have a long-term contracts for anyone at the defensive on the defensive line right now. And so being able to supplement that with some talent is just huge, I think, for developing this team. And so to see a guy that was rated so highly that we got really good value for, a good penetrating three technique, I think he's going to benefit so much from you know being next to um, Miles Garrett. I just love that we have some options on the defensive interior now. Like I feel good too deep at our defensive tackles. We have four defensive tackles that I want to be rotating. Like I don't feel like we're like taking a step back that they're like all having to rotate to give the top two guys a breather. Like I want them to all be rotating and be fresh because I know they all have something that they can bring to the table. And that makes me excited. Yeah. I feel like that was a distinction with this draft is this roster is at a point. Finally, it almost feels like where we can start adding those like depth pieces and not be expecting our third round pick to come in and start and make an impact for us to have a good season. You know, like we don't, we don't need much from, from Elliot this season. And and that's, yep. that's a great spot to be in. Well, I'm it's, not going to lie. We might need something from Jacob Phillips. No, we might need something from Jacob Phillips and that's fair. Um, my favorite pick or the one I'm, I'm excited about Delpit because of kind of the playmaking, like flashy ability he can bring. But Harrison Bryant got me excited based on the value that that we got there. Got him in the fourth round, his second or third round grade. Um, a dynamic tight end, interesting. I love it because it fits our system. And we're going to be running two tight end sets all the time. You need multiple guys to fill in for that spot. If you're running two tight ends, you need more than two tight ends. Absolutely. You, you need three. And two two tight ends is only good if you've got quality players to fill in. If we're if we're running out, no offense to Steven Carlson or 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 Pharaoh Cooper, Pharaoh Brown, whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> if they're not getting it done, yep. it loses its luster and it loses its effect and it loses its effectiveness. Right, the, the defense isn't scared with of, one injury. of Pharaoh Brown. Yep. Right, if if Njoku or Austin Hooper goes down, oh, suddenly your your offense is now shot. Right, with a guy like Harrison Bryant, he's not going to be able to do everything, especially right away. I mean, he's a little thin for for a tight end blocking in line, but he he brings a dynamic element to our offense that gives us a consistency that we can roll through whatever comes our way, whether it's just typical rotation or if a guy goes down we can plug and play a spot and kind of adapt and move forward he, he will be able to do all the receiving things that hooper and njoku will be able to do which will be key to plug and playing and rotating um we can just send him right up the seam um I, mark I, what was your favorite pick honestly i was really surprised that jedrick wills was there at 10 and so i'm really excited and to hear i i don't claim to be an incredible talent evaluator of offensive tackles However, um, to hear from the organization that uh, Judrick Wills was their favorite tackle in the draft uh, gave me a ton of confidence. I also didn't really want Becton that much, uh, didn't want to take a risk so um, at a tackle like that. And so having Judrick Wills there, who I've heard from a lot of people, is their favorite tackle in the draft. Um, we needed a tackle more than anything. That was our number one priority. Um, and a lot of people think we got the best one. So 
obviously there's a couple other teams that see it differently, but I, Wales was my favorite. Um, I also am very intrigued by Jordan Elliott. Um, I read a PFF article about um, just his ridiculous stats in a one-year flash in the pan that he was the best um, pass rusher from an interior defensive lineman in the NCAA last year, and it wasn't really that close. Um, so, I mean, I could get excited about that, no doubt. So uh, I heard, you know, his stats don't show it as much. That's why he, like, pops so much on PFF because he was, like, winning so many of his one-on-one matchups. Like, basically, mm-hmm. if this guy was one-on-one, like, he was beating the guy in front of him almost every time. Yeah. And so and that's why he outpaced everyone else because of the way PFF looks at every single snap. But he wasn't finishing many of those. Like, so he would get there to the quarterback, look like he had a chance for a sack, and then not actually bring the guy down. And so it'll be interesting to see if having some more talent around him, like a Miles Garrett and an Olivier Vernon, like on the edge, yeah, like take helps pressures. some of that production, helps some of that production, helps him actually get home. At, well, at I don't need my interior plays. defensive linemen to actually get sacks. I just need them to get pressures so my defensive end can get sacks, get the quarterback to roll out. I have no problem with that at all. Um, but I'd like to see interior pressure right up the middle. Um, so yeah, that, that was the thing that was most exciting to me. Um, Let's talk about Jedrick Wills. Um, Michael, whenever um, you found, whenever he rolled all the way back to us, um, is that who you wanted to take? No, honestly, I wanted Tristan Wirfs. If I was going to like make a pick there, I was like hoping it was going to be Tristan Wirfs. Um, but I did not really want it to be Beckton. Um, and so I knew that it had to be either Wirfs or Wills. Uh, I was pretty confident that it was going to be either Wirfs or Wills. I would have been upset if it was Beckton because I thought it was too risky. Um, I was hoping for the upside in Werfs, but I completely understand the taking of Wills. I, I like In no way am I like mad or disappointed that it was Wills. But, um, you know, we dreamed up our like top scenarios in the first round of the last time we recorded, and I was hoping we could like trade back. And so there's always a part of me that even if you get a player that like drops and is like good value, <laughs> you still feel like you didn't like squeeze all of the juice out of like that first round. But we squeezed just about all of it out. Like it, it was a really darn good pick. Like I, I, there's very little room for complaint with a with a Jedrick Wills. Well, it's so interesting to me because I, throughout this whole draft process with those four tackles, um, at any point a number of them were were kind of projected to go to the Browns. And what I always heard about Wills was the reason that he wasn't projected is, one, because he plays right tackle. Some of the others had already played right tackle. Werfs was playing right tackle. But that he didn't necessarily fit our scheme as well as, like, Werfs did or Beckton did, being super athletic. And then Andrew Thomas kind of got thrown in there late as, like – I don't know why people more the left tackle. people change their the mind on on that situation, but Wills just felt like he wasn't ever quite in the same conversation for the Browns from a scheme perspective, and so I didn't see it coming. Um, I like him as a player, and I'm super intrigued, and I'm glad that he was there at ten because I I think he's better than the tenth overall pick in this draft. But it'll be interesting to see how much of that is just like stupid conjecture from people and how much of that is there actually a learning curve? Is there a a scheme fit? I mean, the coaching staff in front office doesn't seem to think so. Can we talk about how like scary he looks as a human being? Oh, terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. 
Oh my word. Like he's a little goofy looking, but mostly just frightening. His like, his I jaw would... is wider than like the top of his head. It's he's his like head is pear shaped, which yeah, I don't quite like understand. Car- he looks like a cartoon. It's also funny because all insane. of his beard hair is just down underneath his jowls. Underneath his jowls. Sorry about that. Went to a new website. Oh man. No. I, I feel like Wills is going to be super solid. Um, and I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of room for a complaint. I would guess that he's starting day one um, this oh. season. I mean, who's he competing with? Kendall Lamb? Kendall Lamb. Yeah. Chris Hubbard. Yeah, I mean, like, there's very little competition. I mean, I honestly, mean, just get him the reps. Just put him in there and get him the reps, and he'll get up to speed at left tackle. And... I mean, every everything that everybody just who's evaluated him. Miles Garrett every day? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Welcome, welcome to the league, son. Um, but I mean, everybody who's evaluated him says that he's he's ready to go day one. So he's a rookie. He's going to struggle, but there's nothing that's going to benefit him more like, than than getting the reps and getting the coaching on those reps, right? Yeah. Let's be honest. Left tackle is one of the more difficult positions to immediately step into and start day one. But Just he's going to have to learn somehow. He's going to have to learn somehow. Yeah. Why can't Why can't he do it? Joe did it. Um, no, but I mean, he's, he's, he's got Bill Callahan as his offensive line coach, which is going to be tremendous. He's got, he gets a lineup next to Joel Batonio, which is, which is going to be invaluable. Yes. Um, he's got all the skill set to do it. Batonio has to be so happy. Oh, to finally. He's got to be so happy to have like a competent, like physical specimen playing next to him. But I don't know. I mean. I mean, Robinson was a physical specimen at the same time. I, I would be interested to know what those guys' perspective is on, like, playing next to a rookie versus playing next to a, a guy who's not a rookie but maybe isn't as good. Joel Batonio seems like the teacher type. Seems like he's a mama bird that just wants to take someone under his wing and just teach him up. I imagine he's going to be super helpful. Um. All right, let's move. Let's go on to second round because we haven't mentioned this name nearly at all. Um, let's talk about Grant Delpit, the Grant Delpit pick. Um, second round, pick 44 overall. We selected Delpit, safety out of LSU. The best part of the Grant Delpit pick is that we traded down in order to make the pick and ended up picking up that fifth rounder that yep. we didn't yep. have in the draft. And so, like, we only moved down three spots. You picked up a fifth round pick that turns into Nick Harris, the center. Yep. That we didn't, you know, weren't going to be able to bring home as part of this class. And then you still get Grant Delpit, who this time last year was being mocked in those way too early mock drafts as a surefire top five, top 10 pick. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm pleased with Delpit. There was a couple uh, guys on the table. Winfield Jr. was still there. Um, there were a couple other safeties. Too much of an injury risk available. Uh, I like Delbert. I think we need a, a swagger on on the back end of that defense. Um, to to me, he's he's more talented, but he kind of brings a similar on field attitude um, as. Oh, he's already slipping my mind. Who's the free safety we had? Uh, Demarius Randall, uh, where he he thinks he's the the biggest baddest guy out there in the defense and he's going to make all the plays and 
be flashy. We don't have that in our secondary. Like Denzel Ward is not that. Greedy Williams is not really that. You kind of need a little bit of attitude. He's got the mindset and the confidence to be able to do this. When Greedy's feeling himself, he's that. But he didn't play well enough to be that last year. And so, you know, like I think I could see that in the future, like with in combination with those guys. So it'll be interesting to see. And I mean, there's Delpit's worth this pick in and of himself, but there's the intangibles where he's played with greedy before they've, they've played football for two seasons together. They've got that communication down on field, know what each other likes to do. That transition is going to be easier for Delpit because he can rely on greedy to kind of like interpret. All right, we saw this at LSU. This is like how it works here in the NFL. Um, Also, he played against Joe Burrow every day in practice for the last two years, who who he's going to face twice a year going forward for an indefinite period of time. Uh, that adds a modicum of value to to this pick, I think, in a way that just kind of adds a, it's the cherries on top of Grant Delpit's kind of natural talent and ability. I'm excited about Delpit. He's got all the physical tools. If he's healthy, doesn't have the ankle injury, I think – there's no reason to believe he can't be the 2018 version that that he was. Well, uh, he had the most run stops of of any of the safeties in this class by like twofold. Um, he's 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 been aggressive. He he's physical. He just hasn't been able to kind of finish those tackles, which I I think he has the mindset to get in there and stick his nose in there. He just whether it's injury or just needs to kind of clean up the form, he can do it. Yeah, I mean, he's a three-year starter at LSU. Like, if our organization feels the need to take him, they have to tape to see what they're getting playing against SEC competition. I, I have to trust it. Um, the versatility of Grant Delpit is is super exciting to me as well. The guy can play free safety, strong safety. He can cover guys in the slot. Like, he is he, he's a piece that you can move around in the secondary and get a lot out of. And so that's exciting. Like we don't have anyone else that really kind of checks all of those boxes. And that's going to be really helpful for Joe Woods. Yeah. And now our, our safety room looks a little less scary from in a bad way than, than it did before with Carl Joseph, Sendejo, Grant Delpit, probably not what you'd like ideally, but that that's a unit that you can, you can see what you can do with and, and, and work around. No, and I mean, Sheldrick Redwine showed a lot like late in the season last year. You throw him in there, and we've got we've got some options. I'm feeling I'm feeling okay about it now. I'm excited that when we were talking and everybody was beating this drum over and over again that we need tackle and safety were obviously the biggest glaring holes, and those are the things we address in the first two picks that we have. Um, <clears throat> all right, we already talked about Jordan Elliott. Um, and then we have our other third-round selection, Jacob Phillips, a linebacker out of LSU, a teammate of Grant Delpit. Um, round three, pick 97 overall. Um, what did you guys think about the Jacob Phillips selection? He's from Nashville. That's, a, that's the first thing I thought. From East, East Nashville Magnet High School, I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Yep. So, always love a Nashville kid. Also, good-looking dude. When when they showed his when they showed his picture, I was like, dude, "Dude's got a smile. Dude's got a good like symmetrical face. Good looking dude." 
Great, marketable for the Browns organization. Positives as he can. He's from Nashville. He looks good. I don't know what else to say. I mean, he he was a a two year starter at LSU. He was productive. He was their leading tackler. Um, Is athletic. He's fast. Is probably. I think the knock on him is he's limited in coverage, which is interesting because when um, Stefanski and Barry were talking about him, they talked about how how he can run and cover and like turn and run with people. So I don't really know how the team thinks of him. I don't I don't really know what to think. I, I do know that he was on a really talented LSU defense. He produced at that level. Um, was a pretty high recruit. He's got all the tools. Yeah. The, the, At the end of the day, he's almost a fourth-round pick, so we'll see what happens. Sure. The one thing that I heard over and over when describing Jacob Phillips is that he does not miss tackles. I think he's only missed like three tackles in the entire last year, and he had 113 of them in 2019, and he only missed three of them. So he's a surefire tackler. Whether he, he got 119... 13 tackles, but whether he can get into space and shed blocks and stuff like that, I think is more of a question mark. But once he gets your hands on you, he finishes um, whenever I was looking because I didn't know much about him before. He he and Grant Delpit will make quite the pair. The, yeah. the perfect little odd couple. It worked last year, didn't it? Michael, what did yeah, you... I don't know what to think. I feel like I'm trying to talk myself into Jacob Phillips. He feels like the test case of like, let's see what... Um, this front office had in mind with this guy like i i don't really know if i'm seeing it right now uh but clearly they have something in mind like it seems like they're just i mean he is not that different than as far from like a strength standpoint than the linebacker that we signed from the packers bj goodson Mm -hmm. they are big middle linebackers that are gonna hit somebody and bring them to the ground and they are not going to be all that great in coverage, and um, but you know what you're getting, and they are going to be phenomenal in in the run game, and so it feels like they are trying to typecast linebackers for specific roles like that, and maybe that's just what we're trying to build, and that's all that we need. I I don't know. I'm gonna have to see how they use him on the field um, before I can. I'm really gonna judge it. But at this point, if I'm being honest. I feel like I'm trying to talk myself into it more than I am like excited about it. So hopefully they're smarter than me. And um, my initial knee jerk reaction is just, you know, a stupid guy sitting in Nashville, Tennessee, trying to make sense of the whole thing. You're in Franklin, Michael, not Nashville. That's true. Me and Matthew are in Nashville. You're a Franklin boy. Um, all right, let's move it on. Um, so Matthew gave his reaction to Harrison Bryant. Michael, I'm interested in what you think about the tight end at a Florida Atlantic specific film you've seen. Um, things you like, things you don't like, the pick as a whole. Um, I'll echo most of what Matthew said. Like, if if our offense is going to value the tight end position, like you need to have some good ones. And the only way to do that is to you kind of got to get ahead of it. So while the next year, maybe the next two years, you've got two top tier tight ends like. Austin Hooper and David Njoku, you want to have some guys in the hopper to yeah. step in and be able to like fulfill that role. If someone gets hurt or down the line, like tight end is one of the hardest positions to get production from young players. And so um, you, there's going to be a learning curve. So you'd rather draft them now than later. I expected us to take a tight end in this class. 
I don't know that I necessarily thought it would be one of the top four or five, but I'm everything seems pretty positive about him all around. He played it sounds like he played at a small high school, but he played offensive tackle in high school. <laughs> and, and defensive actually, end. Yeah. And then converted to tight end in college. And now he's an undersized tight end that needs to like like bulk up, which is just hilarious. That little like bounce back and forth like that's going on here. So I saw some highlights where he was lining up an offensive tackle and then he would also line up his wide receiver. Like just depending like situationally on, on what they would do at the high school level. I saw like a fade thrown to him. It was like a 25 yard fade. I, I don't know what the the situation was in the game, but they didn't like the matchup or they needed a touchdown and just threw it up to Harrison Bryant. What number tight end was he off the board? He was like the fifth, fifth or sixth tight end off the board. Okay. Um, but they, Dane has him as a, a third round projection. Yeah. The Patriots took a few that were way lower down the board pretty early. Classic. And they like traded up to get like, the Patriots were just like moving all over in weird ways. Yeah, like, a kid from Virginia Tech that drum. they traded up for Dalton, Kenny. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're gonna run like a weird kind of like wing T like offense, and he's gonna like be like some all star that fits perfectly into what they're scheming up. But who knows? Anyways. The thing, the big thing about Harrison Bryant that it actually does seem legitimate as a concern, is the dude has tiny, tiny, tiny arms. Like his wingspan is inches shorter than like any of the other tight ends. Hmm. He's only got a 74-inch wingspan. What? And everyone else, everyone else is at like 80. Hmm. Like, <laughs> what happened to his arms? <laughs> That makes I have it no super idea. difficult to block. I, I have a much longer wingspan than Harrison Bryant does. To the tune of four inches. Yeah. 74 inch arms. And everyone else is like 80 or more. I mean, like, it's insane. So it definitely will affect him blocking. Yeah. And you watch his tape and it's the only thing you can see. After like <laughs> you've like and after you like know this information, it's like, oh he does have short arms uh, like he goes to catch a ball above his head and it's like his hands are barely above his helmet it's like <laughs> he just can't reach any further um i mean could you so imagine that'll just be like something some fodder for us i'm sure for years to come i got these tiny arms i just can't seem to block anybody can't catch a ball when it's up high got these tiny arms man um, all right, so um, when we were talking about Jacob Phillips, we were talking about maybe it might be a scheme-specific fit. It seems like that's what the pick is there in round five, pick 160, Nick Harris. Um, it's Everything I've heard about him is it seems like he would be a great zone-blocking fit at center or guard, but what do you guys think about that pick? It's an interesting pick because there's a lot of people who think he's he's very specifically a guard in a zone blocking scheme or a center in a zone blocking scheme, excuse me, um, and we're pretty set there. I mean, we just signed J.C. Treader to an extension, and this is an example of one of those picks where I feel like we're building depth, we're building scheme specific depth on this roster that we haven't been able to do in a long time, and. I don't expect Nick Harris to see the field for the next two seasons. 
And if he never sees the field in the next two seasons, I think it's 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 great, and it, that doesn't nullify his value or the the credibility of the pick at all. It's just a matter of where we are as a team at the moment. Yeah, and he might not see the field in the next two seasons, but if your center goes down, you all of a sudden feel real comfortable about you know having a like solid backup instead of moving a guard over that hasn't isn't used to taking snaps and isn't nearly as athletic, you know, whatever the case might be. And so it is exciting to have the flexibility to do that. And I think the biggest takeaway from that pick, everyone said the value was good for where we got Nick Harris. Like, there's no doubt. This front office seemed really intent on sticking by their board and taking the picks that came to them. Mm-hmm. And I think it shows like that's how, why we had such a great grade and why everyone's like looking at our draft as a very successful draft. because we didn't reach for certain picks. We got lucky in a lot of ways in the first round or two because our the positions of need for us happened to coincide with where there was value on the board. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to take a Jedrick Wills that fell to us. We were able to take a Grant Delpit that fell to us at pick 48 or whatever it was, 44. Um, and so that worked out. But like, Later in the, I was like surprised when I saw that a center came on board. And then, like, the more you hear about him, it's like, well, yeah, this guy's a perfect person to have on a roster. Like, he's going to be able to, like, fill in if you need, if you need a guard to fill in um, down the line. And he's going to be able to fill in if you need that backup center. Um, you want players like that. Um, a swing you have lineman. players like that. Yeah. Yeah. You, a swing interior lineman yep. that fits your, your blocking scheme, super athletic. His like workout, watch you should watch his workout at the combine and watch him move around in all of the drills. It's ridiculous. He is so athletic. What just first step crazy? His foot quickness and like agility is insane. Like he looks he looks like he is not he does not look like an offensive lineman moving around, that's for sure. That's and fantastic. And that's great. He's just undersized. So he's he's such a scheme specific offensive lineman. Like you can't you you can't put him in a in a typical just like power run scheme and expect him to succeed. He's got to be on the move, um, hitting guys in space. It'll be interesting to see how we use him. And it will be interesting to see if we have – maybe he does see the field in some heavy sets where we we bring in extra blockers or a six offensive lineman and we need, we need somebody who's uh, maybe not – needing to just one-on-one on one against somebody but pull and get out ahead and hit a guy in space and be a big body i mean that could be a that could be a good productive use no uh, i'm gonna value. put it, i hope they put he's in tiny just not arms that small though like you say he's undersized like yes he's he's you know six one but he's 300 pounds like he's a big dude and he can move like i don't care if my center's a little bit short but I think he has short arms too, and I I read that not, he not Harrison Bryant arms, not He's Harrison Bryant arms. I also read time. that he carries his weight like kind of in his belly, like he's he's just kind of got the weight to play football that isn't necessarily like got the 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 muscle on him. But but it'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm more than happy with him as a fifth round pick to to fill on a roster. I think he fills a role on a roster, which to get that as a in a fifth round pick. That's great. That's value. Yep. It's helping our football team. And you're not paying for it. To quote Sashi Brown, you're not paying for that depth. Uh, it's just a fifth round pick. All right, let's give the people what they want. When you're watching draft coverage, when you're talking about the draft, the only thing that people care about 
is the specialty positions. And here we have, in the sixth round, pick 107, Donovan Peoples-Jones, DPJ, wide receiver out of Michigan. Urban Meyer was quoted as saying, a top 10 prospect in the draft. You can take that to the bank. Urban Meyer said he was one of the 10 best players in the draft. And that, you're, if you live in Northeast Ohio, then Urban Meyer's word is law. The prophet. And so uh, Urban said he was a, one of the 10 best players in the draft. He absolutely was. And we got him in the sixth round. That's fantastic. That's just great news for everybody. I think it's it's a good bet on the athletic measurables and the upside. We'll see what Donovan Peoples-Jones turns into. He could definitely become a decent um, wide receiver, but I do not want to put a whole lot of hope in him turning into anything significant. I think the the upside is a player that plays – I heard somebody say this. Maybe it was Brendan Leister from PFF, I think, said that he resembles and has some of the traits that you see from Juju Smith-Schuster. Like, So maybe in a few years you can see a Juju Smith-Schuster type player, maybe Juju Light. And if we see that, I think that would be fantastic. I saw somebody make a comp to Hakeem Nix, which would be – would be interesting. I think Hakeem Nix is kind of Juju Smith-Schuster-esque as well. So that, that makes sense. He, but Hakeem Nix, I consider, at least maybe this is just my memory of him, was like very long and lanky and like one over the top. He was only six foot. But he, he really? Was, he wasn't huge. He was smaller than, than Donovan Peoples-Jones. Peoples-Jones uh, is ridiculously huh. fast. And and he's big. He's 6'2". He's, he's a full 6'2". And Two, he's 220-something pounds. He's he, also slippery. Most yeah. of his highlights, like he doesn't have ridiculous stats or anything like that, but most of his highlights were short passes to the outside where he just ran up the sideline the entire way and outran people um, trying to cut him off. Um, and he got into the end zone, which, I mean, I think is a, a valuable skill. His jumps are insane. Like athletically, like what Doesn't he was he able to do. Does he have a 44-inch vertical? Or something yes, stupid. 44 and a forty-four and a half. It's insane. I mean, so he wins over the top too. Like he had fourteen touchdowns over the last two seasons in not that many catches, and he just has a lot of different tools in the tool belt to be able to put it together. He doesn't have that refined routes at the moment. Hopefully, he can pick some of that up. And the good news is, is he's coming in and he's not going to have to do that necessarily. Hopefully, they can give him a really defined role in the offense whenever he is on the field and can let him do what he does best and then grow into some of the more refined aspects of being an NFL receiver. He and also he also has some returnability. He returned he kicks does. and punts yep. in college, which is which is valuable, um, especially if he's a guy you're more interested in keeping on the roster than maybe a JoJo Natson, who we signed in the offseason kind of as a return specialist. So that'll be an interesting – to thing in training camp whenever it happens in whatever form um, to see see if he's getting reps there if that's a competition or not um, I also think in the sixth round especially this year it was such a deep wide receiver class Donovan Peoples-Jones is probably a fourth round pick somebody taking a risk on talent in, in another draft where he fell all the way to the sixth round just because there were so many receivers available for a team that doesn't have an immediate receiver need but could have a very glaring receiver need 
as early as next season, I, I think it's a great, a, a great flyer to have, and a complimentary skill set to the receivers that we currently have on the roster. Yeah, can't complain. I'm just not gonna try to like put a bunch of eggs in that basket just yet. We're, it's kind of like a wait and see for me. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll see if he makes the team. I I think he'll make the team just because we don't have that many numbers at that position. Um, but maybe not. I'm I'm not gonna like stamp it as a sure thing. As a six round pick, very very few things are sure things. But I think it helps that we only had seven draft picks for his for his sake. Nope. Um, I think we had eight. We did no, not. we didn't. Seven draft picks. We had um, That's right. That's eight, right. eight less than the Minnesota Vikings, who drafted That's another 15 thing. players, which, had, is, which is borderline irresponsible because even with the expanded rosters, you can't possibly keep 15 rookies. No. no doesn't make sense. It absolutely is I, We crazy. failed to mention how great of a trade we made with the Saints in the third round to move back 14 spots and pick up next year's third from them. I mean – phenomenal that is phenomenal zach bond also would have been kind of a nice little addition to this to this draft class doesn't bother me at all not even like a single bit well i don't care also with the result to be able to get elliot after the trade back and then have a third round pick extra third round pick next year is phenomenal yep all right um so I'm worried. We, we talked about the Vikings. Um, I'm curious what your guys' opinions are. What are some other surprises, things that you saw in the draft? Um, it could be broadcast-wise, which we already talked about, or also teams that you saw that did um, something exceptional um, or that you're worried about, like the Ravens or Bengals. Yeah, I mean, that hits on kind of my, one of my takeaways from the draft. I, I was excited and did enjoy most of the Browns' picks. But it has taken me a while to actually truly get excited about it because I feel like I was getting a gut punch every time I watched the Baltimore Ravens make a selection. Every pick it felt like that they made throughout the entire draft, I was like, dang it, that's they're, a really good pick. They're just good at this. I guess. And I hate to admit it, I, they're I, just I, good I don't want to. I don't want to say it. I don't think I'm willing to go that far. But gosh, I hate to see it. I hate to see it. I mean, just one player after the next that I really, really like. Yeah, no. Every time Baltimore drafted was was a gut punch. Uh, Cincinnati got good players, which was was difficult. Uh, Although Cincinnati, they did get players that I liked. Um, they ended up with three linebackers in this class, which seemed really odd to me. Especially because they signed the guy from Baltimore in the offseason, who's that the middle linebacker from Baltimore, Josh Bynes. Um, they brought him over from Baltimore. Uh, so they're pretty linebacker heavy, which which is interesting in the modern NFL. Um, you, you don't tend to be linebacker heavy, but the two guys that they got are fast, athletic, move around, good, good players. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, was surprised to see them go wide receiver at the top of the second round, though, drafting T. Higgins when could have had Josh Jones, could have had Ezra Cleveland, some of the tackles that were still left on the board. 
um, given their offensive line issues. They did draft Jonah Williams in the top 10 last season, who was hurt and missed the whole year. So we'll see how that comes around. Um, but nobody had a worse draft than probably the Green Bay Packers. And oh, no, there's oh man, who I was, so I was thinking about this. Sense of any of Aaron Rodgers is going to be ticked. Everybody's talked about that. If Aaron Rodgers tries to get out, or if the Packers try to trade him, whether it's after this year or during this season, where does he go? Who who's like in a position where they're like, you know what? I need to go trade for Aaron Rodgers. I can think of two teams. Three, actually. New England? Yes. San Diego? Oakland? San Diego might make sense. You'd have to get rid of Herbert. Well, I'm ready to get rid of Herbert right now. That's no problem. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, the second they draft the second they drafted him, you knew that that was a mistake. I mean, I'm willing to go on the record on this podcast and say I do not think Justin Herbert is going to be a successful NFL quarterback. He did will you, not see a second contract with the Los Angeles Chargers. Did you hear the story about when Justin Herbert came into the game for the first time, um, first time he played at Oregon, he was so nervous and scared that he cried in the huddle? That sounds <laughs> that sounds ridiculous, but I, I've heard that story, and if you draft a man – that is going to be the leader of your football team who cried in the huddle. What are you doing? Like you just, you immediately lose all my confidence. Like it's it's okay to cry. No, like don't hear me. Don't get me wrong. Like it's okay to cry. If, if one of the three of us started crying, no big deal. That's okay. But in the huddle on a football field in front of the men you're about to tell the play to like, that is not okay. Don't cry because you're nervous. Yes. Like, don't cry because you're nervous. Or hurt. Either That's one. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. at its finest. Yeah. Like. Um, although the counter to that is Justin Herbert was once like the sixth quarterback on the depth chart at Oregon. He was a, I think he was a walk-on or a preferred like local recruit. He's from Eugene and worked all his himself all the way up to being the sixth overall pick. So. So he was shocked. Yeah. Whenever he first he went like, in. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so the Raiders were on my list. Um, I also think the Jacksonville Jaguars would, would make a ton of sense because they would yeah. trade their quarterback situation for Aaron Rodgers in a heartbeat. I also think I have no idea what the contract situation looks like. The Indianapolis Colts makes the most sense. And I don't know if they could swing it with Phillip Rivers oh, they, currently signed and on the roster. No, they could, they could easily do it because he's only – Phillip Rivers was a one-year deal. No, I know, but I'm saying how much of that was guaranteed, like like if this would go south soon, um, uh, who who would add Aaron Rodgers immediately? Uh, that would be interesting to me because that team would be ready to win tomorrow with Aaron Rodgers there. But that's such a disaster. I would be so ticked if I was a Packers fan. I'd be so ticked if I was Aaron Rodgers. I'd just be mad. But you got to un- the- – if there's anyone that's going to understand this, it has to be Aaron Rodgers, right? But the situation's a little different because of how the game's played now and because he already spent four years like sitting on the bench waiting his time. So he's got four less years of football like wear and tear on his body than Brett Favre had in that moment. Yes. Brett Favre was like threatening retirement. Aaron Rodgers is nowhere year. near. So I'm just glad that we are not the Green Bay Packers. 
So to go back to my comments about like cringing every time the Ravens and the Bengals like made picks. Yes. It is alarming to look at the Cleveland Browns linebacker core versus the linebacker talent that is in the rest of the AFC North. And I am like concerned. I, I can see myself in the fall already like cursing the fact that we have such crappy linebackers. And while I'm watching these other teams like have these young athletic linebackers making plays, covering guys all over the place and making things happen. That's that's I, fair. And I think we we do probably clearly have if not the worst, one of the worst linebacking cores in the AFC North. If, NFL. Oh, it's the worst. There's it's no doubt. In the NFL. No doubt. Of of any position group on the entire team, where would you like linebackers as like if you had to have one that sucked? Everything else like was was good or better or whatnot. Linebackers would be pretty close to to the, no, the top of your like that'd be my preference for like the sucky position right maybe linebacker or like punter and that's that's probably that's probably the two positions yeah i mean just the just the way that like modern nfl defenses work now with it's so secondary heavy but i mean and putting pressure on the quarterback is so important and like there's there's just so many reasons why i, I don't think it's an accident that our money is not invested in the linebacker position on, on this team just because it's there's a scarcity of resources and there's there's value to be had by investing elsewhere yeah i'm a fan of that we we could have had the highest paid linebacking core in the league if coming into this offseason if they wanted to re-signing joe Schobert, keeping kirksey around probably signing one more guy we'd be stacked uh, anyways i'm well, a browns to complain yep I'm uh, most scared of the Ravens from this draft. J.K. Dobbins, um, honestly, the fact that they have Matthew Judon and Calais Campbell, and I'm just terrified of the Ravens the in general. Is be nasty. I, mean, I lie awake at night. Their secondary is so good. Yes, Marlon Humphreys. It's just <laughs> they ridiculous. have Marcus Peters. Yeah, they, they have hum- I mean, like they are stacked, and everyone knows what Absolute their offense can do. Stacked. Um, I think their offense is going to take a significant step back. Um, we'll see. I hope so. Um, I mean, if you look at what we did to them. They Marshall, lost Marshall Yanda. They did. If you look what we did to them and what the Titans did to them, um, it was the exact same thing. They got ahead early, and then they managed what um, Lamar Jackson could do once they got ahead at the beginning of the game. So hopefully the book is out on the Ravens. Maybe that's a thing. Um, but once – once a defense can scheme up something, maybe they will be stopped. But who knows? I also um, let's talk about. Um, I want to. I want to talk about our draft again, and I want to ask the question: What did we learn from this new regime? What did we learn from our Andrew Barry in his first draft as the youngest GM in NFL history? What did we learn from um, Kevin Stefanski influence on Andrew Barry in this draft? What are some takeaways? It's a good question. And I think it was honestly one of my favorite things to just kind of like sit back and watch. Like, I mean, we all expected the Browns to trade back from 10. Everyone across the league thought that knew how many lines in the water they had to trade back, but they chose not to because they're like clear top tackle 
as they've stated, was there. They stuck to their board. They didn't, like, reach and go one way or the other. You saw a team that was in a front office that was flexible and very in control of what was going on. I loved hearing somebody, one of the one of the um, media members asked Kevin Stefanski in the post-draft uh, presser what he saw from Andrew Barry being such a young GM, running his first draft. Like, did he seem like someone that was in control or like, what was it like? Like, what did you observe from Andrew Barry during the last few days? And he was like, it was really impressive to watch. Like, he was very, very much in control. I told Andrew at the end of all of this that um, I was so much more nervous during the middle of this than I am during a game day. But there was clearly very little nerves from Andrew's standpoint. And it was because they were super prepared. And, you know, he was just talking about how all of the scenarios were played out. You know, the questions were asked to Andrew Barry in the post-draft conference along the lines of, you know, um, how much does scheme fit come into play whenever you like are on the clock and there's, you know, players, you know, that you're trying to decide between. And he goes, well, I mean, at that point in time, you're not thinking about scheme fit. You set your board and there's a lot, whole like process that we go through and you prepare and you like rank your players based on the scheme fit. And that all goes into it. Um, but at that point in time, it's just execution and you have to be prepared for all the different scenarios. And I think our team did a great job being prepared. And he said something like that. And it's like, I feel so confident that he takes a similar, like very regimented, like approach where he is ready for nearly every scenario that comes, comes his way. And it feels like that, that happened. We saw them draft according to their board, not necessarily entirely need, you know, we saw Nick Harris come off the board, good value. We just saw good value throughout the whole the whole draft and i loved it we didn't reach we got extra picks in you know this year's draft and next year's draft i just think it was a really balanced and heady approach and i it's what i thought and hoped to see but you never know until you actually see someone execute it and i don't know that i could be much much happier yeah i think the operative word there is balanced um i think there were some people who were worried that with Paul D. Podesta and Andrew Barry, it's it's all about trading back all the time. You you always trade back, and it's that's not really true. I mean, you you trade back when the value's there, when when it makes sense to trade back. And I think what we saw at the front end of this draft was there weren't many teams looking to move up, and whether that was technology, whether that was circumstances, or whether it was the depth of the draft or just how it fell. I don't think I believe that there wasn't much of an opportunity to move back for for real value. Um, and so you stay where you are and you pick, pick the player and that's, that's where you get the value. Um, I think what I learned is it's, it's interesting to watch how, um, everybody seems to be on the same page. I feel like it was more identifiable this year than past years that, that we were drafting for, for scheme fit. And that, that wasn't decided on draft day. That was decided months, days, weeks ago. Right. But every, everybody seemed to fit a role that they could play on this team, which has not been the case in the past where, where you're drafting for, for a franchise changer and you're like, Oh, we'll take this guy. And he's, he's, he's going to blow up and he's going to be the one. Um, And none of these guys need to be the superstar. You know, they all have their role that fits within the larger scheme of what we're trying to do. And from an organizational perspective, it felt like that was mutually agreed upon and cohesive. 
So another one, you kind of hit on something that also was interesting to me in the Stefanski press conference, which was he really highlighted and didn't shy away from the fact that there was plenty of disagreement. And he was like, and that's a good thing. He was like, we welcome that. Like we like set it up so that we have differing opinions and then can make a decision based on the, all of the information being out there. Like we do, we are not looking for yes men. And that, that comes, that comes into play like in personnel decisions, like during the draft and in free agency. But that's also true amongst the coaching staff. Like we want that and like felt super comfortable, like saying there was like differing opinions and we like ended up making a decision based on all of the, the information that was presented and moved forward together. That is very and interesting. It was great to hear. Love that. Um Alrighty. Well that will about wrap it up for the post draft podcast thank you so much for listening um if you like what we're doing here we would really appreciate it if you gave us a review on itunes haven't asked for that in a while uh so here we are begging for it uh just rate us five stars that would be fantastic um be sure to send us an email if you want us to talk about something specific um uh, follow us on twitter and instagram at sin of our fathers um we would love to hear from you guys and most importantly go browns the brand.